Welcome back to episode number 218 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and entries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are discussing North American and European approaches to combustible dust safety. And to do that, we have on the call Brian Edwards, Explosion Protection Consultancy Manager at FIKE. And he's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And we also have Dilip Arulapen, Explosion Safety Consultant for FIKE Europe. And he's based out of the UK. Brian and Dilip, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hello, Chris. Thank you. Hi, Chris. Thanks. Excited to have Brian and Dilip on today. This is a, a really important topic. You would have heard it a few weeks ago on the podcast with Terry McDonald, where we talked through fake ATEX, ATEX products and certificates. That was a great discussion, but we also dove into some of these differences between North American approaches to identify, assess, prevent, protect, and implement solutions against combustible hazards and European approaches as well as sort of a precursor to this episode. This is a really interesting discussion. We have Brian and the FIKE Corp team over here in North America doing a lot of work. We have Dilip over working across Europe on combustible dust safety as well. And the point of the discussion is to get together to kind of put our heads together, I guess, and talk a bit about this topic of combustible dust safety. How is it approached in North America? How is it approached in Europe? And what are some of the, we'll call it pros and cons or benefits and even challenges that come up with having those different approaches? So we last had Brian on the podcast way back in episode 45 talking about the Ocean Combustible Dust National Emphasis Program. So that would have been over almost four years ago now, Brian. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. We appreciate having you on. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Chris. Thanks. And we will have both Brian and Dilip presenting at the 2023 Global Dust Safety Conference, which if you're listening to this podcast, will actually start next week. This should come out March 21st. Seven days from now on Tuesday, we'll start the conference. And we do have Dilip and Brian presenting at that conference on this topic, showing some examples, some presentations and slides on this as part of the, the 20 plus technical talks that are going on there. So if you're interested in this topic, you want to connect with Brian and Dilip, it'd be a good idea to check in on the Dust Safety Conference and attend there. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the two, we'll call them the high level approaches to combustible dust safety in North America and Europe, how they're similar, how they're different. We're going to dive into some specific topics like testing, hazardous area classification, and I, I kind of pose some questions around, can one side learn from the other and vice versa? And we're going to try to jump into some of those topics as well. So I think we'll start off by going through Brian and Dilip's background a bit. Brian, are you able to share what your current role is and, and what the work you do in industries handling combustible dust is today? Uh, sure, Chris. So as Explosion Protection Consultancy Manager here at FIGE, my primary jobs that I perform are going to be DHAs and PHAs. And also help our customers and clients and also the people at FIKE to interpret and understand NFPA and international building codes. And some of the other jobs I help with, I'll manage projects related to, let's say, equipment strength analysis if it's needed to select explosion protection for legacy equipment or computational fluid dynamic projects needed for non-standard or performance-based design in general consulting projects to help our customers protect their facilities. Makes a lot of sense. And Dilip, what is your role and what do you do in combustible dust? Sure, Chris. So I'm doing pretty much the same as what Brian is doing in the US, but in a pretty much different setup. We approach in the European market more into a process safety approach 
in the industry on addressing combustible dust. I do something starting from design stage to the operational level where we assist our clients to understand the dust combustible explosion phenomena and educating the needs to understand the importance of powder properties, why it's important for combustion information, because in order to manage and fill the gaps, what the standards are asking to do. And moving on, on the other side, I also carry out risk assessments like explosion document protection, that is EPD in the Europe and and DESIR in the UK. I have to speak about UK because it's part of similar regulation setup. UK follow the same regulations as Europe. So basically, and educating an uh, importance of combustible dust and the gaps on uh, understanding of combustible properties and risk assessment to find the gaps and deviation that could potentially occur and supporting with preventive protection methods to control an explosion. That's what I do pretty much day-to-day basis. Sounds exciting. I know it sounds exciting to me. <laughs> you mentioned a couple of things there in your kind of intro and discussion, Delta. I think we're going to uncover. So you mentioned a process safety approach. We don't, we're not going to, let's, let's not give that a definition yet. But I think some of those okay. themes are going to come out as we get into this discussion. Brian, like, hi, I mean, you know what we cover on the podcast. So we've covered a lot of NFPA topics, a lot of dust hazard analysis, implementation challenges, case studies, all that sort of stuff. But just as like a high level to set the stage for this discussion, how is combustible dust safety as a strategy really outlined in NFPA? And I don't know if we could kind of break into four or five steps or something like that. What does, what does the process look like? And then we'll do the same thing for Dillip in Europe and start to see, okay, how are they similar and different? Sure. So, you know, obviously the first step is to identify which standards apply to you. So review in FPA 652 and then the various commodity specific standards to understand which ones are going to apply to a specific facility. But then in each of those standards, it traditionally starts with understanding the properties of the dust, either by, you know, using data from the manufacturers or published data in NFPA or ECOF's dust explosions in the process industry book, or if you can't don't have any other data to send your dust off for testing to understand those properties as far as explosion severity and ignition sensitivity properties. Once you understand the properties, you go through and conduct the DHA. So you systematically review the process and building to identify where fire and explosion hazards exist, evaluate your current safeguards and determine if those safeguards are adequate and come up with an action plan. So if you do find deficiencies during the DHA, come up with an action plan to address those deficiencies. Also part of the DHA, you want to identify hazardous locations, you know, using guidance from NFPA 70 and 499 to ensure electrical installations and powered industrial trucks are appropriate for the locations where they're used. And that's all part of sort of the understanding and, and identifying the hazards. And once you've done that, then NFPA outlines the management systems that you need to have in place, such as, you know, housekeeping protocols, which NFPA provides guidance on both the methods to use for housekeeping and also sort of the dust layer threshold or the criteria you can establish to make sure housekeeping is effective. Covers other topics such as hot work permits and inspections, testing and maintenance standards for both, you know, protection equipment and for potential ignition sources. Talks about employee training, contractor management, emergency planning and response, and uh, also management of change. And then the the final part of, you know, effective 
combustible dust safety strategy is to you know periodically review what you're doing. So you know you'll update and revalidate your DHAs on a five year basis or when things change, and then you just want to periodically conduct inspections and audits of your strategies to make sure that you know everything is being managed properly. So that's that's the high level view of how you know NFPA outlines your strategy. Yeah, and the, again, the audience would be kind of familiar with that from listening to the podcast. NFPA 652 really does cover the same sort of outline that you would explain there. One, you know, identify what the standards apply. So that's, that's really a good step one. And then step two, hazard identification. This is where your testing comes in. Step three would be hazard analysis, identifying your gaps. And then I'd say step four is what you're talking about, this action plan. So, okay, you have the gaps, what controls are needed. And then we sort of layer in a bunch of topics at once, like all your management systems, you know, like really specific considerations on implementation. So all your chapter, trying to think of what chapter it'd be now, but I'm, I'm in 660 land because I've been looking at that. So I won't give the chapter number, but all your specific stuff kind of comes at the end there in that assessment. Still, maybe uh, what's the high level for you? What are the elements of an effective combustible safety strategy in Europe? And, and also, I guess, in the UK with something like a DSER uh, analysis, D-S-E-A-R, if I'm saying yeah. correct. Um, what's, the, what's the high level approach there? So I would agree with what Brian's uh, listed out because similar to NFPA 652, if I'm not wrong, there is a systematic approach for combustible dust, vapors, and mist here in Europe and in the UK. But the, the directives 1999, where it's for the workers and the products, that is ATEX 137, that is for implementing safety precautions for workers, and ATEX 95 for product, that is two different approach for handling combustible dust situation here. But there is for the UK, there is something called HSG 103. It's purely for combustible dust strategy to, to address a situation that could arise from operation and process deviation in a facility. And it, it all starts from same as NFPA, where dust sampling, and basically that's the fundamental to understand what's the properties of the powder, hence, and then we can move on how we systemize and strategize to control. So it's basically the approach here is preventive and mitigating and protection approach, like it's called basis of safety. And the primary approach is to look for avoidance of any flammable atmosphere that could potentially form and moving on to ignition sources. And then pretty much, of course, uh, protection methods that we could discuss in the following questions that we might discuss. It's a broad area. But Moving on from here, there is also general rules and articles laid out where we have to carry a risk assessment, focusing on each and every deviations where the material travel right from the facility, if it is food processing, so right from the truck and into a final product, the process has to be assessed in thorough where the material could get deviated and exposed. So the risk assessment quite stringent and strict here. And there are several general obligations like a duty of coordinations and finding out the hazardous area, storing of materials and preparing explosion document. And there are special requirements for electrical equipments and several other articles addressing miscellaneous provisions like good practices and information of undertaking and training for 
all the employers in the facility who would be working around areas where they would have to handle flammables or combustibles materials. So it's quite detailed, and but that's the strategy that it covers operation, it covers practices, and it covers training, and also stakeholder responsibility it comes from the top management to operator level in the facility. Ethics enforces and emphasizes more about a leader member exchange that there should be a thorough communication from the top management through the operator level to understand what is happening in the facility in terms of inflammable atmosphere, not necessarily combustible dust, but any flammable materials that's handled, moved, or stored in the facility. Yeah, thanks for going through that. And I picked through a number of like high-level topics, I think, because I, I often try to draw the picture and then map one to the other. And that's probably the first mistake, I guess, <laughs> is there's, there's not a direct mapping between one another. But I think looking at these different elements and talking about them, which I hope to do today, starts to uncover what some of the strengths are and even some, some of the gaps are. So some kind of things that come out in my mind are explosion protection document versus a dust hazard analysis, hazardous area classification, it's strange in a lot of cases, and, and you didn't necessarily explain it this way, Dil, but in a lot of folks I talked to that work out of Europe, that seems like the starting point, where in North America, the testing seems like the starting point, which is, and maybe I'm incorrect there, but I think that's something we can kind of talk through. You're talking, Dilip, about some really important process safety considerations that would be, say, documented in a lot of the textbooks, like leadership and culture and yeah. things like that that aren't as... as discussed as much in combustible dust in North America. I think that's an important one. Yeah, uh, Those are some of the things. You're going to jump in and add some stuff there, Dilip? Sure. So as you, as you correctly spotted, the starting point here is EPD. However, like I said earlier, EPD is not a solely an employer or a facility owner's responsibility, unlike an FBA, which Brian will be discussing. So in ATEX, the regulation is just divided into two. One is for manufacturer, which is ATEX 95. Another is ATEX 137. It's solely for employer to look after workers and operators. And, and, and also they do carry a huge responsibility for societal risk in terms of explosion and toxic, right? So if an employer is manufacturing equipment that could potentially use flammable uh, materials or combustible materials, then they have to develop an EPD document which will generate arguments that whether the equipment has potential to create a combustible dust mixture atmosphere, not necessarily it has to be within the flammable range. There is there a potential that could say, for example, if if I'm food manufacturer, I'm manufacturing a screw conveyor. Of course, due to screw conveying, there is going to be a combustible dust atmosphere within the conveying system. Obviously, you're obliged to do an EPD document. So, and also it goes into more detail. A document should be returned and stored within the facility or during manufacturing if the facility owner having uh, more than five employers in the facility, that should be a written document, EPD, even though your material is not combustible. So that's another one that is ATEX 95, uh, sorry, 137 for workers, for product, even between Europe, to have free trading and free shipment within one country to another. So your product should go with an EPD document uh, stating that it is the flammable atmosphere situations are addressed and all the electrical equipments within those areas are as per ATEX regulations, meaning to control ignitions sources. And if it is silo or 
or if it is a hopper or any other massive vessels, then there should be a design calculation done that whether whether or not that is required an explosion venting or suppression or you know some form of protection methods for that. So it's it's quite clear and and it's because it's quite clear and simply laid out here that if you're a manufacturer, you have to follow this 95. If it is an employer receiving the equipment, then he has to go through 8137 to compare and contrast that it is is the equipment is suitable to install within the facility where the employers are going to be the operators are personnel will expose to the equipment. So it's it's quite simple and straightforward in EPD compared to DHA. And like, like you said, process safety approach means ATEX is um, focusing majorly on controlling an explosive atmosphere. So there is a three layers of approach in ATEX. Uh, one is preventive and avoidance of ignition sources, and then comes protection. So every process uh, in the facilities should have three bases of safety, layer one and two and three. That's why I lighted as a process safety approach earlier. Yeah, thanks. Anything to add on that, Brian? And maybe let's talk a bit about the DHA. Like the the kind of root question I want to get to is how is an exposure protection document different or similar to a DHA process? I got a couple points from Dillip, but maybe we'll hear from you first and then discuss them a bit. In general, I think there's two main differences. One is the obligation of the EPD, right? So as Dilip explained, the equipment manufacturer, so if you're a dust collector manufacturer or conveying equipment manufacturer or a milling manufacturer, if you make that equipment, you need to come up with that EPD. Whereas in North America, it's it's almost exclusively falls on the responsibility of the facility owner. So we do have cases where maybe an engineering firm that's designing a process will you know, prepare DHA or work with the consultant to prepare DHA. But, you know, that's the obligation ultimately falls on the owner. So it would be up to the owner to request that from the designers or from the equipment manufacturers. And so that, that that's the obligation is different on who has to do it. But then on the contents, so uh, DHA by NFPA is, is less formal as far as what, how you can do it. So, NFPA specifically says that you can use multiple method- methodologies. You can use a HAZOP as a DHA. You can do uh, failure modes and effect analysis, or you can use a DHA that is a checklist style DHA. Or, um, you know, we use a risk-based approach that looks at various elements. So it's where the likelihood of a dust, the three elements that are, th- are not the same as the three elements still mentioned, but we look at likelihood of a ignitable atmosphere, the likelihood of ignition source, and also consider the severity of the event. But really there's no, you know, there's not a really detailed specified format that a DHA has to be. Whereas with an EPD, I think there's a, a more strict guidance on how you know, that what that exposure protection document should look like and everything it needs to include. It's not as uh, it's not as loose as the DHA requirements are. Yeah, um, something I would like to add on. Thanks, Brian, that you picked it up. And also the, the massive, there is another difference uh, as we start from uh, EPDs that it's asked for the dust sampling, whether the materials uh, properties have been identified. 
because there is also another regulations which is pretty much similar to EPD, that is ATEX comes under European Commission, that is REACH regulations, that's registration, evaluation, authorization, and restrictions of chemicals and flammables. So if you're a pigment manufacturer or any form of powder or flammable manufacturers before shipping or before uh, logistic, you should have their properties identified and incorporated into safety data sheet. So that hence in Europe, you could find several dusting agencies, that is combustion testing agencies are present because it's massive here. Uh, any powders, so even one kilo or one ton, 500 kilos have been shipped between one country to another, their powders uh, information has to be identified and recorded into the safety data sheet. Well, only then it can cross the border. So that's also a mandatory, so which will also comes under EPD, whether uh, this part is covered or not, because EPD basically raises lots of questions, hence there is kind of a branch matrix uh, flows under EPD uh, documents and it's every three years to five years depends on the amount of materials handled within the facility. So thanks Brent for touching that area. Yeah, I think that's another one to add in this concept of the, so we have the equipment, we have the employers, which seem to be obligation considerations for each, but then we also have the materials, like the call the products, the, the powders that are being shipped and that sort of thing. True. And there's the S, the, you know, safety data sheets on that. And they do, they, if you read the uh, harmonized guidance, you know, it, it requires these things to be identified. Although I would say that, you know, I've seen lots of safety data sheets that don't, don't have <laughs> much information about. So it, even though it sort of is required, it's sort of like, it, it, actually, if you read it technically, I think it's also required here in North America. We see even less Correct. of it here. Correct. So it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is actually, uh, you're rightly spotted because until 2021 January, uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, the REACH regulation was not an enforcement act and it was just a, like a guidelines or it's more like an, uh, similar to NFPA, like it's what asked by the manufacturers to record. But 2021 January to June, there was a period given to all the manufacturers that it is a mandatory rules now and there is an enforcement act and for penalties and similar to ATEX and EPD now it's a mandatory. So it's kind of, it's coming up with more regulation. And since uh, uh, industries are start looking up towards uh, Asian market to procure uh, materials uh, due to cost. So this regulation has become mandatory. So now lots of Asian companies and manufacturers are bringing up more testing facilities to uh, to fulfill reach regulations to bring the product into the Europe and UK. Okay, good to hear. Did you have something to add there? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was just going on what you said that it's it's very common here in safety data sheets to just have a generic clause that typical, you know, this material may form a combustible atmosphere if, you know, <laughs> if suspended in a dust cloud. And and sometimes I see a lot of material manufacturers, they'll just use that generic clause and that's really the only information they provide. I don't know why we don't see more detailed information like the KST or MIE or MEC data sheets, but it seems like a lot of manufacturers have determined that if they just put that general clause in there that they may, you know, they'll, they'll make, comply with the globally harmonized standard and OSHA will, you know, <laughs> will find them compliant. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 just a generic standard often here, but I would prefer if we had more information. 
Yeah, two notes on that. We covered with uh, with Keith Plum back in episode 169. It was actually called adding combustible information to material safety data sheets. <laughs> so we had we had a good conversation about the lack there of that information and some some considerations there. And it's not an easy topic, right? Like the devil's advocate side of that topic always says, well, if we start listing numbers, then people are going to grind the stuff up smaller and they're going to protect yeah. using those yeah. numbers and, and it's going to be unprotected. But, you know, so there's that side. I covered it in episode 165, is blood meal a combustible dust? I'm just checking to see if I had this thing in here. I want to use the company's name. You can go to that episode 165, dust slash 165. I have a link to a safety data sheet for bovine blood meal, okay. um, uh, dried blood. And it's it's an example of a what I would consider a really nice safety data sheet. It, it goes above and beyond the kind of stuff Brian's talking about. Mm. I can't find the specific clause, but it has things like if grinding this material up to fine powders, you know, start looking at combustible dust hazards, avoid, you know, you need ventilation, avoid dust accumulation on rafters. Like it has more, it has specific guidance and it doesn't have the the testing parameters, which you can make an argument that it should and, yeah. and could as well. But it also had like a number of good, verbose, extensive descriptions of of considerations. Like I don't have the good ones here, but it's like you know, good ventilation rates should be used. Uh, anyway, I encourage anyone that's interested in that to go to that episode sure. and and look through because I haven't looked at the data sheet in, in two years, but. Um, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Dale. No, I mean, I agree with the point that you mentioned about industries, a manufacturer look for opportunity to grind or blend the product into a smaller level to to argue that or they, they let it in the larger pieces so they may not find a combustible situation. Recently, Brian and I had a similar situation for one of our client. I can't disclose the name, but it was the same. Client had to try to find out a way that somehow they could avoid formation of combustible dust. And the challenge is uh, what manufacturers and industries are facing. One is awareness. And number two, because if, if you're a bulk manufacturer, equipment manufacturer, you cannot manufacture an equipment that is suitable for multiple products, right? So I might procure your product, uh, your equipment, and then down the time, and, and um, I might decide that oh, I've been using uh, ST class one material Right now, I'm a contract manufacturer. I got different contract coming into my company. So let me use an ST2 materials for the same equipment. So so basically, it's, it's a matter of awareness. But when they learn through consultants like us, uh, if it is through DHA or EPD, then they try to retrofit us somehow because they have the deadlines and commitments to finish the product. So so it's, it's as industry is changing what it was like five years, but... It takes time, I believe, but you're right. That's that's kind of back-end work that's happening in industry not to register the information on safety data sheet and to argue that they don't have to comply with that. Yeah, and it's, and so if I, we're going to get to things we like about one side or the other, <laughs> we're, I'm going to try to sit on the fence of, of happy because I, I see positive both sides. But I do want to, if I do want to pull out some stuff in the NFPA DHA kind of world, I do see as a positive is there's a really big focus right now on 660 and trying to pull out what is, um, and we can't figure out the right words to use. So the NFA 660 words would be fundamental of combustible dust and what's material or industry specific of combustible dust. And that same line, I think, is kind of like what Dillip's talking about in that 
what things are important to consider, say, when you're manufacturing a piece of equipment that are like fundamental to that equipment, and then what things are specific to the use cases of that equipment. And if we sort of pull those threads out, maybe we can come up with a, a general strategy and then a specific strategy to tackle combustible dust. I actually think that's probably where the differences between the European and the North American systems are is what we've just, they've because they've grown organically through committees of really smart people trying to figure this stuff out mostly independently of each other, <laughs> unfortunately. But the, what we've classified as general and where we've laid those classifications versus what we've classified as specific. Uh, and then what vectors, if you want to go into math terminology, we've applied that across, you know, targeting equipment manufacturers versus not targeting equipment manufacturers being one of those kind of vectors we haven't applied it across here in North America. That, that, I think that's like where everything comes from. <laughs> and then after doing that for 30, 40 years now, now we've had these sort of, two deviated approaches that have come out of trying to um, identify what's what's fundamental and what's uh, industry or material specific. So I'll put that as something at least I know NFPA is trying to do and it's a big, uh, the committees, technical committees part of NFPA are trying to do. I know Brian has probably spent a lot of time on this over the last few months. It, it, it's an interesting topic. Anything to add to that, Brian? And then maybe we'll let Dilt add to that. And then I, I got a couple of things I want to cycle through on some other topics as well. Oh, sure. It, it, there are specific exemptions and there are specific methodologies that are approved for use in those different commodity specifics. You know, so for instance, if you're a dust collector manufacturer and you're you're trying to supply equipment to a metal processing facility, it's going to be drastically different than you know, something you would apply to a food and agricultural facility. And um, that's why it's very important. So if you're, you know, if you're on the market for say secondary equipment and you, know, you might find a dust collector, it's it, it, you really almost have to start fresh with the hazard analysis. I think is sort of what Dope was alluding to that. You can't just take a piece of equipment from one industry or one application and, and drop it right into the other. And, you know, there are some good, you know, reasons for that. I mean, the metal dust are going to behave different than, you know, traditional organic material. You know, the flame speeds are going to be much faster. It's going to, you know, uh, bigger volumes are going to have different types of dynamics. So uh, there's good reasons why you would want to sort of silo those types of equipment, but it, it does also really add to the confusion sometimes when you're trying to navigate between the various commodities. Sure, it does. Anything to add there, Dil? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's pretty much the same situation. It's it's a global situation. It's also here that for different commodities, and it, as I already addressed, that uh, brain touch base the same point. So I'm good with that. So we've covered in, we covered explosion protection documents versus DHAs. We've outlined a couple of things there about obligations, type of analysis that's allowed to be applied. Um, we talked about safety data sheets. So that's more on the materials you're handling, the products you're. Uh, product's not a great word, but the materials you're handling at the end of the day. One that kind of comes up that I, I had asked Terry about in the previous episode, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on as well, is like when people say, what do you do first? Like step one, uh, step, actually I like Brian's step one. Step one is identify which standards apply. <laughs> so, and, and if you identify that your North American standards apply, then, then you're going to go into step two, which is what I'm going to bring up here now. If you identify it's your UK standards apply, then you'll probably go step two, it's different. But the step two, which is the first thing to actually looking at the hazards, the answer kind of seems to be in, in North America, okay, get your dust tested. And then if you look across seas, because it's more of a general approach about 
flammability hazards, it's usually, you know, do your, your hazard area classification. I think the reason of that is because you're looking at for dust hazards, gas hazards, and liquid hazards, any explosion hazards. So it doesn't really make sense to say the first thing to do is test your dust. The first thing to do is to look at your facility and identify where you could have hazardous areas where there's concentrations that may cause a flammability or explosibility hazard. So question number one is, and maybe I'll, I'll start with Brian. It's like, do you see these as the two entry points that um, you've seen your work in, in North America and, and in Europe? And I think I do want to get into why, but let's make sure I'm actually on basis that these are even the, the two entry points that are, are typically looked at. Well, I, I think you're right as far as entry point to to understanding the material, but I would say, uh, you know, maybe uh, I'll throw this back at Dilip. I think that that might also be the entry point in Europe too, but then, you know, where, where you go from there might vary a little bit. Is, is that correct, Dilip? You, you still have to... Yeah, it you know. is still here. It's pretty much the same. Uh, it looks for the samples, uh, materials, properties. That's the first entry point, and then it takes a different shape. Uh, depends on the materials and size of the facility. Okay. And so when you're looking at materials, would you also look at yeah, liquids and vapors that you'd be using as well and saying, okay, I have, I have these material parameters across all the materials I'm handling before you do your, your hazardous area classification? Correct. In terms of ATEX and EPD, let's come from EPD. EPD is also a comprises and hazardous area classification. So hazardous area classification is part of EPD documentation. It, not necessarily it should be a, a drawing, but the zone and its extension and the reason for zoning should be captured in EPD. So if you put that way, and then both the manufacturers and facility responsible person would have to perform an hazardous area classification. So the first entry point is, do I have a flammable or combustible materials? Yes. And then, okay, let's uh, sketch out our hazardous areas. So it goes from there. So again, for hazardous area, then ATEX is in, uh, focusing more on abnormal conditions, not necessarily during normal operation. And it, it focuses a lot for hazardous area uh, where an abnormal condition or deviation uh, in a secondary con situation can happen. And then those, those are captured in hazardous areas. And that again goes back to the manufacturer. They have to manufacture, uh, manufacture equipment to fit uh, secondary situations as well. So entry point is like Brian said, it's dust sampling. And then it goes to EPD and then hazardous areas are captured. But one point I have to touch base here is that in ATEX, there is no minimum quantity mentioned or recorded. For example, okay, I have a liter of solvent A, then do I have to do a hazardous classification? Or I have one kilo of material, which is combustible, do I have to do a zoning? So what ATEX is saying is that there is no set value mentioned that below or above that you are obliged to perform ATEX or EPD document. It says that we have to include all the areas and all the properties of powders and materials, including quantity, in order to exclude. So you have to include the entire process irrespective of the quantity in order to generate a hazardous reclassification table or you could exclude that area as non-hazardous area. So it's it's pretty much straightforward that you have to perform hazardous air classification as step number two, which is comes under EPD. Okay, thank yeah, thank you for kind of clarifying that a bit in my mind as well, Brian. I think the to kind of throw back to the North American side of this hazardous area classification, and maybe the point I'm trying to trying to get to, and it's it's neither like neither one's. Oh, okay. 
you could you could take any opinion on whether which one's right or wrong. <laughs> the way like hazardous area classification to me in in NFPA six fifty two, and I was just trying to look up in six fifty two the first time it's mentioned, but it's 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 after it's like late, right? You've done your identification, now you've done your hazard analysis. It's kind of more like in the implementation stages with your it's either in chapter eight or nine, we'll say, like your management systems or looking at your um, hazardous areas. But it seems to be like part of the implementation plan where it seems to be pulled up much farther forward into the hazard analysis process in Europe. Am I, am I on to anything there or is, that, or is that something different than what you see as well? Uh, well, I guess if you're looking strictly at an FPA 652 or eventually 660, then yes, that that electrical classification comes up more in the ignition force control section of the standard. But really, the hazardous area classification requirement stems from NFPA 70. So, I mean, if you're designing a facility, even before, I mean, that, that's, it's almost a parallel track. So, when you're designing a facility, you need to understand what electrical insulations are going to be required in there. So irrespective of, you know, if you're just working from 652, you know, it's still covered under NFPA 70 that you have to do the hazardous area classification and you have to conduct that. The main difference I see between European hazardous area classification and North America is that here it's NFPA focuses on building compartments and it's almost exclusively talking about building compartments. So you're looking at a room and what areas of the room are going to be classified. And when you're looking at classification, you're only really looking at it from an electrical standpoint. It also covers powered industrial trucks and maybe some hand tools and whatnot. But you're really only looking at it from that electrical standpoint and you're only looking at the building spaces. Whereas you know, in, with ATEC standard, you're looking at basically the entire spaces inside and outside of equipment. So with ATEC, you're going to have zones inside equipment and in different locations, whereas in your typical North American electrical classification zone, you're just going to be looking at maybe a building, you know, building layout drawing, and you're going to have hatched areas showing what portions of the room are zones, whereas with European, you're going to have more of a, you know, a 3D volume type review where you're looking inside and outside of equipment and you'll have different zones that way. So that that's the biggest difference I see in the two standards. And also in ATEX, you're looking at all ignition sources, you know, applicable to the zones, not just electrical. Yeah. I think the part that's kind of, I think I've figured out in my, in my head, the part that was getting me stuck. So um, I think it's like, it needs a different name. <laughs> One's a one's a, a much more you know detailed with higher distinctions hazardous area classification, and one's much a uh, you know a, a a higher level view. And what I mean when I say so, we we have the conference coming up next week when people are listening to this, and our first session of the the first day, which you guys are presenting at, is the current status of dust hazard analysis. We have keynotes on NFPA six sixty. We have keynotes at the end of the day uh, OSHA on the National Emphasis Program. But after the after the current status of dust hazard analysis, then we have a, tra- a session that's beyond the dust hazard analysis. <laughs> so, not thinking, I put um, hazard area classification and presentation on that given by one of you know our, our colleagues in North America. But we put them beyond the DHA because <laughs> that's kind of how people were seeing it. But that's I think that's like the really detailed hazard area classification, the 3D view where you have zones around pipes and and inside of equipment, and you're looking at maybe electrical and other types of 
of uh, ignition sources. And then, and then there's like this, this higher level hazardous area classification, which you're using to identify, see, I'm going to, we're going to mix up more concepts if I say this, but you know, which nodes to assess in your, in your DHA. <laughs> when I say that, I'm not necessarily talking about as detailed a node assessment that would be done in, in a HAZOP or hazard in, in process safety, but your, your, your higher level node assessment to say, okay, we're going to exclude this building compartment, but we're going to look at this building compartment. We're going to exclude these equipment. We're going to look at this equipment. And in my mind, I'm still calling that hazardous area classification, but maybe that's an inappropriate term, or at least it's not appropriate to call those both the same thing as one's much finer distinctions than the other. But I just made that up. I've never thought about it that way before. <laughs> um, any thoughts on that, Brian or Dilip? <laughs> no, I, th- I think you're right that that, yeah, hazardous area classification, I think, traditionally is in at least in North America, I think it's viewed as just, yeah, what what is the electrical uh, classification requirements? And you're kind of doing something you're you're also doing something when you do your DHA because you're deciding which nodes to assess. But that's that is elements of, of a more detailed hazardous area classification too. But it's not like the drawings, the 3D drawings kind of things that you'd see. So yeah, it, it's 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 also uh a uh, mandatory uh, document that goes along with EPD or it could go within the EPD document. Um, it depends, it's not necessarily uh, to be a 3D, but uh, if it is a process and process piping where it's more of vapor and we know that vapor could tend to settle down or up raise depends on the density. And then you, it's suggested to, recommended to have a 3D, but mostly it's a, can, the zoning can also show in 2D, front and uh, top view and front view or side views, uh, depends on uh, expectations from the facility owner. So uh, the high comparison, what Brian did is it's something which should be addressed because if the zones are not done for a facility equipment that holds a dust and then all the electricals, in equipments or mechanical equipments, uh, even in terms of ignition sources, if you see static, if it is a silo, then charge relaxation time information, something like that cannot be uh, taken into account uh, for uh, for determining what is the safety aspects in terms of igni- uh, ignition sources. So maybe your presentation the uh, in, in future could address, uh, you could touch base this area, then that could be a calling point for North America to look into this aspect. Just a thought. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good one. And I'm actually writing a bunch of notes down on what I think you guys should include in your presentation next week when this comes out, but uh, several weeks from now when we're recording this. But yeah, the reason like, and I, I got into this with Terry, we actually, from Thorne and Derek in episode 216, we, we took a big tangent from fake ATEX products and talked about North America <laughs> and in Europe. And the point I tried to make there, and I, I think we're uncovering more layers to this than even my, my kind of basic assessment I was providing there, we'll call it. Uh, but my, my challenge was in North America, because we don't view dust, gas, and liquids as all we'll call them equivalent hazards, flammability, explosion hazards. Mm. And because we failed to do the detailed hazardous area classification, including electrical and all and other ignition sources, because of that, we miss stuff. <laughs> we miss whole buildings. We miss whole, like, it really comes down to the quality of the person doing the dust hazard analysis to identify those hazards. Or if they're not having somebody do a DHA, then somebody on the site to say, oh, yeah, 
find sawdust is a combustible. Like that's where the gap is that, that we'll say uh, 30% of facilities or 60 or 80% of facilities fall through some of that gaps on that side, where in, in Europe and, and elsewhere where they say, okay, gases, dust and liquids are, are hazards. And they sort of, and again, Dilps uh, enlightened me more on, on where the starting point is, but what I say in that episode is like where they start more with looking at your more detailed hazards area classification, assuming there are these hazards, well, they maybe tend to miss sometimes is some of the complexities that would arise from different types of dust or different types of, like, because we've sort of took a higher level view of the hazards, we lose some of the very specific aspects of combustible dust that may not be addressed there as well. So you'd have a site that has a, a hazards, you know, a, a, a document that, lays everything out, but they don't understand maybe their combustible dust hazards associated with the dust that they're handling as well as someone who started looking at the properties first. Um, but I, I don't know, those are broad strokes in general. You guys are working every day doing, I'll say dozens or if not hundreds of, of site assessments a year. So you'd pull out a lot more information than me, but that's what I was just kind of pulling through from these discussions. Like I would say, I think you brought up a good point about awareness is that the biggest thing I've noticed and, you know, having worked with companies both in North America and in Europe and just, you know, working with Dilip and his understanding of, you know, how uh, industry is there, there is just a general lack of awareness, I think, often here in North America, where, or at least it's very spotty. You, you obviously have some companies and some facilities and some equipment manufacturers that are very knowledgeable of the various hazards associated with you know, their equipment and the material. But then you have a lot of companies that um, are completely unaware. And the, I think the fact that in ATEX, it does have a dual approach, right? So you have to, the equipment manufacturers work hand in hand with the end users and the facilities and the owners. It gives a higher chance for people to be knowledgeable. Whereas you know, in the U.S., oftentimes, say you, if a facility wants to buy another a new piece of equipment or add a new process, you know, it's really up to them a lot of times to make sure that, you know, they specify to the equipment vendors that, hey, you know, we need NFPA-compliant equipment, you know, because it's it's common, you know, especially if, say, they're getting competitive bids that, you know, if they don't specify that, then, you know, an equipment manufacturer might, you know, offer, a, you know, a, a a proposal that includes equipment that's not protected and it might look better to the owner of the facility. You know, they get a lower bid and they might not understand the difference and they might not know that this, you know, one bid has protected equipment and the other doesn't. And there's really no obligation for the manufacturers here to to provide that. And that obligation under ATEX and in Europe for the equipment manufacturers to consider these uses you know, that, that, that's, it gives more checks and balances so that, you know, you can't, if you have someone who has a gap in knowledge or, or is just lack of awareness of hazards of, of combustible dust or, or flammable liquids and vapors, you know, it gives us, you know, a, a secondary check that allows, you know, a greater chance for safety. Yeah, it makes sense. Go ahead, Dilt. No, it's it's so true, and, and the tricky part here uh, is is the, the complication comes when when I'm addressing to the point that you are uh, you addressed, uh, Chris. That is about uh, complication in process facilities. Uh, 
if it is a, a straightforward uh, dust, then it's okay. And if it is just uh, oil and gas or chemical industry, but the trick tricky here is if there is a hybrid condition arises, then that's where hazardous area uh, classification comes more uh, complicated. And there is also some form of standard, but not um, a complete standard for that. But in Europe, they're already writing up for that hybrid um, hazardous area situations. Then the manufacturer have to are obliged to manufacture equipment for hybrid. So uh, so the equipment on the headspace of a silo or, a, or any other hopper should be complying for both gas and dust. But uh, on the bottom, the rotary valve should be more for uh, dust. So uh, all these uh, manufacturers are coming up with uh, difficulties to address hybrid conditions. But hence, so it says hazardous area. So once the material is hazardous, then anywhere the materials tend to move or store or escape, then it has to be classified. Uh, It comes with the name. Yeah, and when and when you're saying has when you're saying hybrid, there you're saying gas and combustible dust and flammable gas mixtures. Yes, just yeah. for for clarification, so the audience is is that's what uh, yeah, flammable gas and combustible dust mixtures, which obviously it's it's very like it almost comes to the root again of the thing. So we would say any any like in in Europe, we would start with the assumption that that most stuff is flammable, <laughs> and 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 sort of know that where in I mean, it's not. I mean, it's too much of a generalization. I was going to say in, in North America, you, it, it's almost like hybrid would come later on the assessment again. <laughs> so it'll be up to the person who's looking at the site. You do your DHA, and then it'll come to this node, and they're like, "Hey, there's there's gas and dust here," and that's up to the person that's doing that assessment to go, "Oh, this is a hybrid mixture." We need to look at this a different way, where it's uh, it's a hybrid, it's, it's a fuel up front, farther up the line in 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 European approach. I don't know. I'm trying to figure this stuff out in my head. <laughs> um, I kind of I want to I want to go towards finishing this up today. Uh, awesome discussion. Like I mentioned, the audience, we will be picking this up at the conference next week. We have Dilip and Brian presenting at that on differences between North America and Europe for combustible dust safety. Uh, we have a whole another a whole uh, range of other another twenty technical talks on combustible dust happening that week as well. Uh, we'll have in the show notes a link where you can get that information. To close out, I think maybe we'll start with Brian. I'd like to pick sort of one thing from the other system that uh, that we think would be, you know, that, that we really like about it. So in case we ended up, this is a big fistfight about European versus North America. This was my way to bring it back on track to make uh, say something nice about each other. <laughs> so I don't think the fistfight <laughs> broke out, so that's good. But I'll start with Brian. You know, is there one thing that you really like about the European system that you th- like to see more of in the North American approach? Um, Well, I think it ultimately comes back to what I said before. I think that uh, the fact that there is the obligations for equipment manufacturers to address the the combustible dust hazards and they actually have to be certified. So that does add some extra complication on the manufacturer side that they have to get their equipment certified for ATEX and that will add extra expenses and costs. But ultimately, I think that having that requirement in place will, you know, it helps facilities, you know, have a better chance of being safe. And so I think that's a really, um, really good approach. And the fact that oftentimes, you know, the equipment manufacturers are, you know, sort of just allowed to do as much or as little as they want here can complicate things. So that, that I would say that's, you know, one of the things that I like most about the uh, European system. 
Yeah, and I got a couple ideas to add in too, but I'll let Dilp go first. Anything on the North American side, your uh, Dilp, that you think we'd like to see more of in the European approach? Yes, of course. So something like OSHA's BSM and in Europe BSM is not mandatory, but there are BSM regulations in in UK by Energy Institute EI fifteen. They have the BSM standard, but it's not mandatory. We have COMA that is control of major accident hazards document, which is get which touch base all the aspects of PSM, but not as an element. So I wish uh, similar to PSM uh, manuals that OSHA's or anything like CCPS, if it is regularized and made it as a mandatory, if industries stores more than certain uh, metric tons or cubes of materials, they have to follow PSM, then that will open door for wider aspect and to improve the ATEX and uh, European regulation to go to the next stage. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's probably a great place to leave off for today's discussion. Um, thank you for, for coming on, Brian and Dilip. I know it's sometimes a bit awkward to try to do three-way conversations on a audio podcast, but I think, I think we did a pretty good job. Uh, the audience will let us know. I think we'll leave it off there for today. And I do appreciate your time today and also look forward to having you on the conference coming up in a week. So I don't think this is the last time we'll be getting together to, to talk about this topic. Um, so thank you for coming on. Well, it's been an honor and we appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having on awesome. us board today. Thank you. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Brian Edwards and Dilip Arulapen from Vike Corporation and Vike Europe, respectively. We're talking about how North America and Europe are different in regards to combustible dust. We covered a lot of really interesting topics. This is not... Um, this is definitely not the last episode we'll cover this topic on um, until we get a, a harmonized, I don't know, until we, we decide that we want to get a harmonized solution across the board, then spend um, at least one career, maybe two, getting it done. So we're talking 20, 30 years from now, maybe we can have one conversation about this. But until then, we have uh, multiple systems throughout the world for tackling combustible dust. Uh, we talked about Explosion protection documents versus dust hazard analysis. It turns out they're not the same, <laughs> which I think we knew coming in. But more importantly, we talked about some of the differences that come up. Uh, things like the obligations of different parties to create these documents. Um, things like the type of assessments you would typically find being done in these type of documents. Now, one that would be really nice to have at the presentation that Brian Dillip do um, at the Dust Safety Conference next week would be the you know example a comparison side by side of what a, a DHA document might look like and what a you know exposure protection document might look like for a piece of equipment or for a site. Um, those sort of things are helpful visualizations for folks to um, understand some of these differences. So we have that. We talked about safety data sheets. Um, the I can never remember the name. I'm going to say the global global harmonized system, um, which is is one of those names that's. See, it sounds really big, but it's hard to know specifically what that means. But if you Google, I think, Global Harmonized System, you'll find the documentation that we're talking about there. Uh, it does have the requirements for safety data sheets in there and the requirements for people that are creating materials or providing materials into, you know, into industry to, to provide information on that. So we talked around combustible dust safety, whether or not um, certain things should be added in there. And that's a, a, an ongoing challenge. That's probably I heard first time about that a few decades ago, uh, yeah, probably 15 years ago was the first time I heard about, hey, we need combustible dust in these sheets. And it comes in waves. It goes away eventually and then it comes back and goes away and comes back. 
it doesn't seem easy or trivial to to get done. But Dilov did mention a um, some new changes as of 2021 that may actually uh, improve that over time as well. We talked about. some other aspects like hazardous area classification, testing, what the different roles of some of these things play in North America and Europe. Um, we close out some of the big you know, key takeaways that, uh, that folks like from one system and think we should pull across to the other ones. And the, the big thing that I had two realizations, one was hazardous area classification I was using very broadly. And I think there's actually kind of different classification approaches that might be applied. And when I'm thinking about those in my head, and maybe when you're thinking about those in your head, you're actually thinking about you know one word that means a couple of different things, and that's being applied in different ways. That was one of the realizations. Um, another one is this battle to understand what's fundamental and what's specific, and that's along a lot of different variable lines. So you could say fun, like fundamental to combustible dust as a as a concept, and then specific to an industry. So think combustible dust versus combustible metals and combustible foodstuffs and coal and uh, sulfur and you know different specific materials like that. Or you could think about what's fundamental and specific about how it's processed. So what's fundamental if you're building a silo to provide as an explosion protection document, not knowing how that silo is going to be used or what type of materials are going to be used in it um, versus what's specific. Okay, now we're, we know we're using it for soybeans versus plastic pellets versus um, some other type of pharmaceutical ingredient where maybe there's hybrid mixture. So kind of splitting what's pushed upstream and what's pushed downstream is really the the... I think that's where the growth has been over the last uh, number of decades, trying to figure out how combustible dust fits into this. And I think some of the differences that we're seeing have come out of that growth to figure it out as well. So I'm going to close this episode up. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode at dustsavingscience.com slash 218. We will have ways to contact uh, Dilip and Brian there. Um, we'll have links to some of the things that we discussed in this, as well as links to next week's dust safety conference that um we having live March 28th to March 30th inside the Dust Safety Academy. So if you have a same productive week ahead, I want to say thank you for listening to Dust Safety Science Podcast. I appreciate all the work that you're doing out there in combustible dust and in the industries you're working with, making them safer every day. 